What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to another episode of In the Know, brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. Um, this week, we are joined by a special guest and fellow Blue Wire team member, Laz Jackson. Uh, Laz writes for the Detroit Bad Boys. He's the editor, uh, also hosts the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, as well as the Pistons versus Everybody podcast, which is on the Blue Wire network. So, Laz, um, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining. Um, I'm doing great. Thanks to, Thanks for having me here. Really appreciate it. Uh, very curious to see what you guys uh, think of your team. Your team's weird. <laughs> it is a very, very weird team, but you have a very weird team as well. No, my my before... team's just bad. That's not weird. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you got some, you got some, uh, cool, intriguing pieces. You got Blake Griffin, you got Derek Rose, you got a nice pick coming up, but we, we will get into the meat of the, of the basketball stuff. But, um, what, so the fans know a little bit more about you. You're a Pistons fan, uh, and you cover the Pistons. Are you from the Detroit area? What was your journey into following and covering the Pistons? Okay, yeah, I'm I'm from Michigan. I'm from uh, Redford, I guess is probably the most accurate thing, which is just west of Detroit and just north of Dearborn, uh, if you know where those places are. Um, I've been a Pistons fan since I was like six. Uh, one of my like earliest sports memories is like Terry Mills missing a game winning three against the Hawks. And I'm, I was just like super mad about it. And I don't know like why that's like stuck in there. It's one <laughs> of those things is like, you, I couldn't get it out if I wanted, but uh, yeah. So uh, being a Pistons fan for that long, I've experienced some like very high highs and some very low lows, right? Like 
Well, I was I was there, well, not like in the arena, but, you know, we had the championship in 04, six straight Eastern Conference finals uh, during that time period. And then uh, things haven't been as good since. We've had, um, you know, some blips of uh, playoff appearances, but no no sustained success. And uh, we have uh, we have a coach in, in common that we're gonna we're gonna talk about a little bit later in Stan Van Gundy, but uh, we're just we're starting to like fully uh, get out of the uh, the Stan Van Gundy like era in Detroit finally, and so uh, yeah, that's that's me though. I don't live in Michigan though. That's the tricky thing. I live in North Carolina now, and uh, I was telling Mason, following the team is kind of what keeps me like close to home, and so like that's why uh, that's why I really like following the team. Yeah, that's I and I, I was saying in response, like I can relate as someone who's been I've been, you know, I was in I left for New Orleans and Austin in twenty thirteen and then came to Chicago in twenty fifteen. So it's been uh been a while since I've been since living in, in Louisiana. Um and then I, I, I know Schmidt moved more recently, but he's he's kind of fallen right back there for now, right? Yeah, I've you know, ever since COVID hit, I've had the freedom to work from where I want to and where I want to be is New Orleans. Uh, that wasn't a really difficult choice for me, but it kind of sucks because I came to New Orleans during the early months of quarantine to for My intention was a couple weeks. I was like, all right, well, let's see what this is going to be like. I'm sure my job was going to want me back. And then it was weeks stretched to months. And, you know, now I've been here since March. So, yeah, this has been the longest year ever. I'm sure we can all relate. Yeah. I wanted, you know, you mentioned Terry Mills. That is such a throwback name. Ahead of his time, you know, a stretch four uh, back back in the day. What, Mason, I was wondering what the equivalent of, you know, Terry Mills missing a random shot against um, a, a team would be for, for the Hornet or Pelicans. But I'm, I'm struggling to come up. Maybe it's a <laughs> James Posey type thing. But Terry Mills is better than... James Posey was for the Pelicans uh, or for the Hornets back 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 in the day. So I'm I'm not I'm not sure what the equivalent would be, but that's a that's a throwback, man. I, I didn't expect to hear that name. I don't I don't have a good one. I'll, 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 I mean, the only the the one thing I remember from the very early, and obviously we you know the the, the Hornets came into the world in 2002, and the thing that that sticks with me, it's not a specific play. But just like the what could have been with Jamal Mashburn and how like how quickly like his career ended so fast. It, he was he was so fun uh, in, in New Orleans when they when the team first got there and um, you know and and just like in, in injuries kind of screw short and it was just it was just too bad. I always wonder you know, you know what what could have what could have been with that with that team um, way back when. Weird weird times. Um, we're definitely going to talk a lot about the Pelicans, but continuing. On on the Pistons train, you mentioned, you know, you're just not getting out of the Stan Van Gundy era, which, you know, we have a lot of thoughts on that because I think, you know, both of Mason and I will agree that Stan Van Gundy wasn't the best executive, uh, to put it lightly, uh, during the, the Pistons tenure. So where do you feel now the direction of the team is? Because you, as you mentioned, you have a weird team. You you have a guy like Blake Griffin on a massive contract. You move out of Andre Drummond's deal, um, which honestly, I f- you know, it was probably a good idea, but I'm not, I'm not sure the return was necessarily worth it, but it was probably a good idea to get out from under that. Um, you know, you, you have tradable, uh, tradable pieces like Luke Kennard and Derek Rose, which again, I have no idea what's, direction you're going to take do you see 
the Pistons being a team that's just kind of ready to get back into the playoffs um, as soon as next season uh, from a management standpoint, or do you think they're going to slow it down, sell off some of their more valuable pieces, gain more assets and take a longer approach? So the team hired uh, Oklahoma city's Troy Weaver uh, earlier this off season. Don't ask me when the off season has been interminable. And so I don't remember exactly when, but uh, the word he used during his introductory like press availability was a restoration. So we are we are in the process of restoring the Detroit Pistons. Don't call it a rebuild because a rebuild implies uh, like losing a bunch of games and they would like to sell tickets. Not that anyone gets to sell tickets nowadays, but uh, but yeah, that that is what's going on with the Pistons. They are in a, a restoration period. So what does that mean? Um, that means probably that Derrick Rose is not going to be a Detroit Piston um, uh, much longer. Uh, that means you are hoping for a, a Blake Griffin kind of renaissance. Uh, he's been his he his season ended in like uh, late December, early January, and so he should be absolutely back to to full health by the time next season starts. Um, and you're you're hoping that you know with load management and the excess time off that he will be um, he'll play well enough to be an attractive trade piece. Anytime he's uh, been fully recovered from uh, any injuries he's had, he's been a really effective player. He was an all NBA player as recently as, you know, two years ago. And so um, you hope to still be able to get some value out of that. And then once you get past those two guys, you kind of have a really uh, incomplete young core, right? You've got uh, the, the recent draft picks and Luke Kennard and Sekou Dumbuya and whoever the Pistons take in this year's draft. You've got um, some good second-round picks that are filling out the roster in Svi Mikhail Luke, Bruce Brown, and um, who am I? Oh God, I'm missing one guy. <laughs> it's been such a long time. Uh, Christian uh, Wood. Yeah, I don't Chris, know, no, he no, he's a he's a free agent. I consider him a free agent uh, pickup. Uh, but yeah, and, and you've got Christian Wood, who I think resigning is a is a priority for this team. I've I've heard it's a it's a priority for this team, but I do think they I do think the team has a a walk away number, um, but I, I don't know exactly like how high that number is, and so you're looking at rebuilding around whatever you get for number seven, Luke Kennard, Sekunumbuya, and Christian Wood, and that's a that's an interesting collection of, of pieces, shall we say? Yeah, and and, and so I, I think the one piece that's not really a piece, but it's it, it's a factor is you've got the you've got cap space and you're one of not that many teams in the league that has cap space this offseason what do you have i guess two questions around this one is what do you think the pistons are going to do with that space and then the other question is what what would you do with it uh if you if you were calling the shots i honestly don't know what they're going to do with that cap space and it worries me um we we've heard them linked to higher profile 2020 free agents like Fred Van Fleet. Um, I, I hope they don't go in that direction. Not you because... just triggered Schmidt a little bit on that one that he's, he's been, he's been clamoring for, uh... I love Fred. <laughs> no, He'd be not, a really good player. No, in, not, in Detroit. not, not because Fred isn't a good player because he is, but because that immediately like puts you back into like trying to compete. Yeah. Trying to compete for like the sixth seed. And, you know, I, 
no disrespect to Fred, but like that's just not the direction I'm interested in. Um, I've also heard them link. You you hear them. I think because they're one of the few teams with cap space, you hear them linked to a lot of people that I don't know if the team has any interest in. I've like I heard them linked to Jeremy Grant. They have Christian Wood and Blake Griffin. Like there's no space to play Jeremy Grant. Heard them linked to like uh, Derek Jones Jr. Very similar situation. I've zero like a, a Derek. Derek Jones Jr. Christian Wood front court will be and you are you run into things like that um what I hope the team manages to do with their cap space is you find interesting young players on restricted free agency deals and make poison pill offers maybe that includes Brandon Ingram probably doesn't I don't see a world in which New Orleans doesn't match anything on Brandon Ingram but there are other guys a little bit down the scale like your DeAnthony Melton's um like your this name oh good uh yeah like your like your d'anthony melton's um there are some really there's there are fewer but there are still some onerous contracts on the books of nba owners who are going to be crying poor and so you look at uh, extracting draft assets for for renting out your cap space thinking about like harrison barnes in sacramento or you know eric gordon in houston deals like that where uh, you just you know hold the contract and, and take whatever draft assets you can get, and uh, there's still some there are some younger unrestricted free agents out there as well. Pistons really need bigs. Um, Harry Giles Jr. Harry Giles the third, excuse me, got his uh, team option declined by the Kings for for some strange reason, and so he'd be an, an interesting uh, big man unrestricted free agent to be in. Um, Nerlens Noel is an unrestricted free agent. He's got the OKC connection with Troy Weaver. Um, you know, I just other guys like that so uh using your cap space to rent out for draft assets and then picking up you know good young players on the margins is what i I would do with the space basically what memphis did this past year oh yeah totally Totally. okay yeah and uh if you end up winning you know 40 odd games like like memphis did like more like sure that's great yeah it's interesting because you guys being one of the few teams that does have cap space, every single agent is going to throw their you the Pistons name around and be like, yeah, you know, the Pistons are interested in my client and they have the money to do it and kind of use you guys as leverage, whether or not you've even talked to that player or not. So I think, you know, that's probably where you're getting those reports of those Derek Jones juniors or even the Fred Van Bleets. Um, but, you know, beyond that, you kind of mentioned this young core that you had. Now, Svee's on, on, on a great contract. You guys just drafted uh, Seku. What is the pulse on Luke Kennard? You know, there was some trade rumors this past deadline. He almost got moved maybe to Phoenix. I don't know what the actual destination was. Um, he's a good player. He's very productive. He's get, He gets better every year. He also might have the knees of a 40-year-old. So what's what's going on with him? And, you know, do you, do you see him as a Detroit Piston? And, you know, he's coming up on that restricted free agent market. Where, where do you feel like his contract's going to land? What's your comfort level there? Hmm. So I think it's really interesting that you haven't heard any extension discussions from either side. Um, I think there is some frustration uh, between uh, Luke's agent and the front office basically uh, because Luke hasn't had the role that I think he would like to have on this team in order to get paid. What role is that? So he's come off the bench. 
uh, for the bulk of his time uh, with the Pistons. Um, and he, the reason, and like he started the past season uh, coming off the bench, formed an, a pretty electric, you know, bench duo with Derrick Rose actually. Um, and then once it took an injury to Reggie Jackson to elevate Luke past Bruce Brown uh, in, in the starting lineup. And so uh, you wonder if the, you wonder if the coaching staff really uh, prioritizes like what Luke offers to a team. He is a, he's, he's made great strides as a like pick and roll playmaker and score, but his defense has gotten uh, like worse every single year. He was actually like weirdly like semi-competent on that end under Stan Van Gundy, his rookie year, and uh, has been poor uh, essentially ever since. Maybe that's a, that's a preview of what we're going to talk about with Stan. Um, I think that uh, a guy with Luke's skill set uh, gets offered lots of money on the open market if if uh, like lots of money is available. You, <laughs> I know this is uh, like if I was Luke's agent, you know, you point at like the Buddy Heald deal and be like, Luke can do that. Like Luke's as good as Buddy Heald and Buddy Heald wow. makes like 26 million. Like why, why don't Buddy, we do Buddy makes a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. And, and then you come down from there, but at the same time, you know, I talked about, you know, a restoration of the Pistons. I don't know if a brand new GM who didn't draft Luke has no prior loyalty to him. I don't know if you want to come out of the gate, um, you know, investing, you know, 60, 70, $80 million in Luke Kennard as a way, as a way to start your restoration. Well, what and makes so, it complicated a little bit is you guys have Shvi, who kind of plays not a dissimilar role, but you know he's up and coming in that area. It can there's some overlap there? You guys had Langston Galloway, who was a great shooter. Again, not doesn't play a dissimilar role. He is a free agent coming up. I don't know if you guys are going to retain him. Um, you know, but it's not like you guys didn't have options. You don't have options to fall back on that are aren't good. Yeah, and you know there are a number of decent, you know, shooting, shooting guards at the top of this year's draft or, uh, you know, primary guards in at the top of this year's draft guys who would be playing alongside Luke Kennard, who would be taking the ball away from him. And so, you know, it's not, uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see Luke traded. It, it wouldn't surprise me to see Luke, um, you know, sign a extension and, and kind of then get traded. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him stay in Detroit. The they do like him, and he's been like he is a he is a good player, right? There's no there's no rush, but uh, yeah, the the situation between Luke Kennard is is like really it's more interesting than I think a lot of people like around the league are are, uh, are aware of. Got it. And and so you started talking about the draft, and so um, let's let's go there for a little bit. Um, is there? It sounds like you're very interested in, in keeping that pick and take in taking a player there. Not, uh, but is is that is that fair to say? Is that something? Are you looking at potentially? Are you looking at trade up, trade down options, or are you you, you good with where the Pistons are right now? Uh, I don't think I don't think the the team is interested in trading up. They don't really have the the asset base to to trade up, and I uh, don't know if there's anybody at the top of this year's draft that that's like really worth trading up four in in their mind um i think you could get like if you trade up to three uh you could get a similar type of player at between three and seven and so the the cost to do it, it the cost of doing it isn't uh isn't worth it um 
I, I, the team is, or the, uh, the, the team, like everybody, the fans have talked a lot about like finding a point guard, finding a point guard, a point guard has been a, a, a big source of contention. Uh, it's been a big team need uh, for a long time now. And so, you know, in this draft class that has a lot of point guard prospects in it, you think like, Hey, we can finally get this, this situation taken care of um, this year in the draft. And I do think that um, that there will be like good point guard prospects for them to uh, to take at seven. I'm really interested in Killian Hayes, a guy who uh, played overseas this year in Germany. French kid, uh, no Seku, which is which is a bonus and like a fun little uh, marketing opportunity for the team. Um, really good uh, off the ball score, or off the dribble scorer and uh, and passer. Uh, really good at directing an offense. Uh, effective team defender. But uh, the skill development is a little bit uh, delayed with his offhand. And uh, he had some turnover problems kind of earlier in the year. But uh, I think Killian Hayes offers kind of the the most of what the Pistons are looking for and could use uh, in a prospect going forward. You know, I've heard uh, them link to other prospects. You've heard them link to Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, RJ Hampton has gotten a look. Um they they worked out Kira Lewis, which was interesting. And that was one of the first like workouts we we had heard about. Um, who else? Oh, uh, and and Patrick Williams. We've heard them link to to Patrick Williams uh, on the on the high side for I think where he's uh, projected to go. But uh, but yeah, Killian Hayes is the guy I I look at for uh, for this team in the draft. I love Killian Hayes, and I love Patrick Williams. So uh, I would be a huge fan of your team if you drafted either one of them i think they were both going to be really good players i have them pretty high up on my personal boards i actually have killian number one overall on my personal board so if he falls to seven i think that's a huge get for you guys and as you mentioned he fills a lot of needs i think it satisfies both the both the get the best player available attribute but as well as fills a very important need for a very long time he'd be i think he'd be really good especially if he has a big man, a dynamic big man like Blake Griffin to lean on during his early career to make the, to open up the game uh, a little bit more for him. Cause Blake, you know, he can do it all. He can post up, he can pass, he can run the pick and roll. He can, he can do it all. So I think that makes the game easier for him. And then obviously if you retain Christian Wood, that's another really good partner for him to gen, uh, be a floor general with. So I think, I think that would be a spectacular fit. Although, um, again, I'd be very, very jealous if that's how the the draft chips fell. Yeah, I, I keep seeing Hayes mocked kind of in like the, the 10, like the 8 to 10 range. And so I do think he'll be available. It's just a matter of uh, if what he brings to the table, the, the team prioritizes over what, you know, another draft pick could could bring to the table. But I do agree with you that that uh, – you know, Christian Wood and, and uh, Killian Hayes would be a really effective pick-and-roll pairing. Uh, you think about, you know, Seku Dumbuya was at his best this season in transition, and uh, Killian likes to get out and run. I think that would be that would be a, good, a nice French connection. And uh, who else? Oh, and uh, he was really good at getting shooters open looks in, in the pick-and-roll. And, you know, like you guys talked about, that's that's something that's a strength of Luke Kennard and, and Svi Mikhail Luke's. And so, yeah, Killian, I think, is a, is a great fit for this team. So in the event that LaMelo Ball falls, you know, there's been... <laughs> there we go. Okay, well, I'm going to go multiple places with this one, Mason. <laughs> Calm down, okay? Relax, relax. We're, we're going to keep it 
um, nice to start off with. So in the event that, that LaMelo Ball start, uh, falls, as you know, there have been kind of reports that he's not interviewing well and maybe he'll slide. Maybe he'll, you know, I think the Knicks are really hoping he falls to, to eight. But, you know, let's say both Killian and LaMelo are on the board. What are you leaning? So this is funny because I uh, wrote something. Yes, we're, uh, we're, we're recording this Monday. So and this came out on Sunday. So I had actually talked to people uh, inside the organization and they were telling me that the, that uh, the team is not a big fan of LaMelo ball. Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't take him at seven. Wow. Yeah. And wow. so breaking and, news. You guys just heard this on. Well, I mean, it's, it's published on Detroit bad boys. So you can go to DetroitBadBoys.com, read my story. See that breaking news, DetroitBadBoys.com. Check it out. Read his story. <laughs> Wow. But yeah, I, I, I think uh, if it were between those two guys, the, the team would choose Killian. And that's what I would do as well. That's what you would do as well? That's that's okay. So that kind of deflates my next question is like, okay, well, after you draft LaMelo Ball, can I interest you in one Lonzo <laughs> Ball to accompany him? And he said you wanted to sell tickets. Well, let me tell you, the Ball brothers, they uh, have a big fan base. So if, if I wanted Lonzo Ball, I could just take Tyrese Halliburton. Wow. Sure. Am I wrong? <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. Um, well, I, I I would consider Tyrese Halliburton like a less athletic version uh, of Lonzo, but I one that is infinitely more aware of his role and strengths and weaknesses than Lonzo is. Um, so yes, I, I I don't think you're wrong there. Uh, I don't think you're wrong at all. But again, I I wouldn't take Tyrese uh, Halliburton at seven. Personally, I don't think he has a star level upside. It's probably going to be a really good player, probably going to be a really good pro because he does so many things well. Um, but for me in that top seven, top 10 range, I'm, I'm really looking for who's going to change my franchise. And I don't, I don't think Halliburton's that guy. Uh, yeah. I, Hayes would be. Philosophically, I agree with you. Um, from a realistic perspective, everything we're hearing and, and seeing about the top of this year's draft is that the extended scouting period has just made teams more aware that like, Oh God, this draft sucks. And so I think you'll see a lot of teams reaching for high floor players in this year's draft. The Pistons are uh, no exception to that. They, they really like Tyrese Halliburton. Um, they said it, you know, openly, not, not openly, but uh, there have been uh, lots of very nice things about Tyrese Halliburton said um, in, in, you know, by beat writers who have site, you know, who have inside sources, um, Halliburton himself, I think said during his media, his like draft combine availability that he would enjoy, you know, playing in, in Detroit, learning from Blake Griffin and, and Derek Rose. Um, I've heard from outside sources that, you know, Detroit is on his list of like places he'd like to go. And so I would, under, I would understand it. I would also kind of question the upside. But, you know, keeping in mind that this draft has made people kind of uh, more risk averse, I would, I would understand it. That's fascinating to me. Philosophically, I feel like if the draft sucks, then, you know, like if, if your guy that, that you're picking fails, he fails. But the reward, the return on hitting on like a high upside guy is just so much more than hitting on a guy that's, you know, a, a higher floor guy. Because, you know, if you feel like they're going to fail – I don't know. I have this whole thing where I don't think teams are actually good at 
figuring out who is a high floor guy or who yeah, is a high I, upside I, guy. I remember your piece, your draft yeah. piece from the from the summer. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so to me, I think I would just double down on that philosophy. Be like, screw it. Let's let's go get the most high upside guy, which again, uh Killian Hayes over Lonzo Ball. I, t- I mean not Lonzo Lamelo. I totally, I totally get that. Yeah, but I that's think, it. I think you're on to something if there's like an infinite time horizon. But like Ooh. if well uh, like okay. Like you can look at this analytically, right? Because like you can grab all uh, sixty players who are drafted for the last right. fifteen years, right? Like, if I'm a GM and I get you know three picks in a row wrong because I'm reaching for star upside, like I get fired, and so yes. like I I don't want that, and so I I I understand, right? The the uh, yeah. the objectives are uh, are not the same. Agree totally, and and ownership comes into play so much more so yeah that's very uh, true that's all that's always a factor we don't really know about either you know who the, you don't know who the owner likes unless he like talks about it right yeah that was yeah i, I mean i think that's a phenomenal phenomenal point to bring up with this whole conversation around around the, you know if, if you're you know if if you can pick the safe pick a few years and, and it seems like maybe on the surface you know what you're doing but at the same time, if those guys, uh, you know, don't end up on your team past that first contract and, or a, a whole myriad of other reasons why maybe the cost of retaining the player isn't worth the product- production or, uh, or, you know, it's, is that really more valuable than even if you missed on a few straight picks that you're really shooting for the stars on? Yeah, I mean, that, that, the time horizon piece is so interesting. Uh, it's a great point. 2020 has reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes and Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over. Football's back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season. From games, spreads, and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. I, I, I wanted to, to jump now, kind of making the transition. It feels like the right, the right way to do it is to talk Stan Van Gundy. And so... Um, before we get into, oh anything, yeah, yeah, let's talk about who Stan Van Gundy drafted. <laughs> God, <laughs> um, that's what I was trying to step away from the draft piece before we start talking about Stan because that, that's not going to go very well. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, so give um, just for for 
folks who are new to the Stan Van Gundy, uh, you know, a, a topic as head coach. I mean, obviously he's had, uh, you know, various levels of success with his previous head coaching stints, winning pretty much wherever he went, but there's more to it than that. Um, and so we're really curious uh, to get your thoughts on Stan Van Gundy, the coach, since he's not, you know, he, him as the executive, as we know, kind of didn't go so hot, but um, you know, what were your perspective, per, uh, you know, perspectives on him as a coach, both, both good and bad. Uh, I love Stan as a coach. Um, he was always uh, inventive in a way that I think uh, Stan, the GM kind of forced him to be by handicapping him with a, with a limited roster. Um, he always, <laughs> always, always got his teams to defend. Uh, I believe the Pistons uh, were like, they were always like in the top 12 uh, defensively. This feels like a Rock Divers and Doc Rivers conversation again. It, I can't help thinking that. It kind of <laughs> is. Yeah. But no, but the team was always good defensively with like guys you would not expect make to like make a good defensive team like out of, right? Like uh, the team's best perimeter defender for the bulk of his tenure was Contavious Caldwell Pope. And yet they would be like a top 10 defense. And you and people would say like Andre Drummond's not a good defender. How is this happening? And it'd be kind of true. KCP but. was like a max level player just because those teams made me think he was this phenomenal three and D player. You know what I mean? Like that was yeah. a, he was, he was getting converse, uh, contract conversations at the same time, like the auto Porter, auto Porter jr. Was and, and all that kind of stuff. And so it was like, yeah, this guy's going to get paid. Yeah. The, the infamous five-year $80 million deal that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, What else? Stan's like about Stan. Stan's a fun guy. Um, I'm sure your media members have already kind of talked about like how much they're going to enjoy um, interviewing Stan. I think there was, there was like already a piece in the athletic about that, which I thought was really yeah, humorous. We went from Dell and Monty <laughs> who were just like, not who are great people, but not really, uh, you know, very quiet when it comes to the media. So I think, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's fun to have guys who are willing to talk, you know? Yeah. Well, and you get him on Twitter too. He wasn't on Twitter. Yep when uh when we got him i think he he got on twitter like late in his in his pistons tenure so we didn't get like the the full stand experience if he's like tweeting after losses and stuff that would have been great honestly um but yeah that's, that's basically the pillars of stan van gundy right like your, your team will defend he'll do some smart stuff offensively and uh he'll be uh and he'll have you in a good place i think i think it was a really good hire i'm very curious to see what he does with some of the pieces on your rosters uh yeah don't think Lonzo Ball is going to be on your team. Oh, that okay. Definitely want to hear more about that. I Wait, yeah, go. Let's go there. Let's go there. <laughs> so Stan Van Gundy likes his point guards to be able to attack downhill and pick and roll and shoot off the dribble threes. And Lonzo Ball doesn't do either of those things. So he's also he a bad. <laughs> he's also a bad free throw shooter, and that's also kind of a big no no. Understand? So preaching he, to the choir. Yeah, I don't. I mean, like if he is this like super connector piece that he's uh, you know, poor uh, maybe like drew is your starting point guard and Lonzo's like playing the like KCP role, but that takes away a lot of what makes Lonzo special. And so I just think it's easier to just like package him someplace else. Maybe if like a little mellow's falling, like we're talking, well, you know, trade Lonzo to the Knicks, little mellow to the Knicks. Everyone's happy. Uh, ESPN gets to do a trillion stories a day and uh, no one has to worry about it. Why, that's exactly why I asked the, uh, the LaMelo piece, because, you know, we've been asking several teams, you know, everyone that comes on 
uh, and we get their thoughts. Literally, no one, no one has been all that enthused about Lonzo, which I find weird because I felt like it would be more 50-50 split. You know, to be fair, the last memories of Lonzo are from his time in the bubble, and that was like the worst he's played in quite some time. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. His numbers um, are super bad in the bubble. Oh, tell me about it. The so I want to steer it back to Stan just a little bit. You know, defense being innovative, being creative. Is there a quintessential Stan Van Gundy moment that you remember? Uh, whether it's something he did during a game, or maybe during a, a press conference, or uh, an innovative play, or something he did besides you know build a fucking wall. Is there a quintessential Stan Van Gundy moment? Oh man, um, you took it. Yeah, it's it's build a fucking wall. It is. Okay. It's build a. Come on, man. Yeah. I mean, like that. That is a great. This is a, that is a great NBA moment. And what makes it greater is that he's talking to Boban about it. <laughs> it's like just two of the NBA Twitter darlings like interacting in that way was great. Um, yeah. What what else was there? Uh, There's some fun stuff from from Stan. Um, there was, there was a, there were, you guys, uh, probably haven't seen this, but you should, uh, there's a, there's an Andre Drummond impression of Stan Van Gundy. That's hilarious. There is. I knew there was a Dwight one, but there's a Drummond one. Yeah. There's a Drummond one too. It was was also, it was also pretty, it was also pretty, uh, it's exactly what you would expect it to be. Let's put it like that. Um, there was... What what would you categorize the relationship between Stan Van Gundy and Drummond, or uh, more specifically, like I guess zooming out a little, are there former players on the Pistons do you feel like he has an affinity for that he could be that the Pelicans might look to acquire more aggressively than you know you run of the mill free agent or trade target? Right. Okay. No, this is actually a good question. So that was an open question we had when Stan got hired um, in Detroit because some of his Orlando guys were still around at that time, right? Like, I think Dwight Howard was a free agent during that time period. I know J.J. Redick was a, was a free agent during that time period. Uh, Jameer Nelson was probably available in that time frame, right? Like, uh, was, I think Hidu Turkoglu was probably shot by then, but uh, other than that. And <laughs> I no, and Stan, like, liked all those guys, right? He actually brought in, like, a 41-year-old, Jameer Nelson for nothing at a trade deadline one time. And it, he was the worst point guard I've ever seen in my entire life. From the Pelicans, wasn't it? Wasn't, didn't Jameer it, arrive from the Pelicans? It might've, it honestly might've been. Yeah. I remember I that know. I called that trade to the, ex, to the exact uh, pieces. It was like some sort of end of the, ro- end of the roster trade. And it was Jameer going to the Pistons. Yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was bad, but no, like Stan, like didn't, you know, bring in JJ Redick on like a five-year $80 million deal because he like knew JJ from Orlando, right? Like he, he, uh, he managed to cultivate his own pieces. And so I think if there are guys Stan Van Gundy, you know, knows and likes around the league, um, though they won't necessarily be former Pistons, but they, they will be good fits for a Stan Van Gundy system. And so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think you have to worry about that, especially since he doesn't have control of player personnel this time around right uh we we've kind of talked around that but uh i think the pairing of david griffin architect of the 2016 lebron Cavs championship team and stan van gundy like actual good head coach is is a good one yeah they seem very much like similar people in the sense that they have this 
intense passion for the game and they, you know, they see it a very um, specific way and, and, you know, but they're also open and innovative. And I think they have this kind of way of talking you into believing everything that they're saying, uh, whether or not it all comes true or not is, is, is irrelevant, but I feel like they're very, very similar yeah. in how they approach the game, how they view it and, and how they interact with, you know, media members and, uh, yeah, fans they're, they're smart charismatic dudes right and so when like a smart charismatic dude tells you he has like a good idea like you you want to give it a shot absolutely the more more on court stuff schematically speaking yeah um i feel like stan has always kind of adjusted to the teams he's had rather than trying to force them to be a specific thing that being said you know he did have uh there were some sort of comparisons drawn between Dwight and, and Andre Drummond when the first, when the hiring first happened. Uh, do you, how do you feel like he's going to approach the Pelicans roster? And there's been a lot of talk on like, Oh, is he going to turn it into the Oh nine magic? Is he going to turn it into the Pistons where I don't think he's going to turn into any of that one, because like you said, he's not responsible for it. Um, but two, uh, you know, I feel like he changes where, with where he's at, but I was wondering if you had any thoughts on, on how he's going to approach the Pelicans roster from a schematic standpoint. Hmm. I think you will definitely see like Zion and four shooters. Um, I think you'll, I don't, what I don't know is like, if you'll be playing like drop coverage, I know like Stan preferred to play drop coverage with, with uh, Andre. And uh, if I remember correctly, that's what like, that's what they played with Dwight too. Um, and Andre, it took Andre a long time to get comfortable playing drop but once he did he was quite good at it um you know great deflection and obviously like an amazing rebounder and so uh you know that was that was really effective and a good development point uh in Andre Drummond's favor understanding Gundy that I think will will continue on for you guys um like we talked a little bit about the Lonzo Ball piece and about like what Stan like expects out of his point guards and so I do think you'll see probably more uh see Drew Holiday kind of stretched in that playmaking role a little bit further than perhaps he's been asked to in the past. Um, well, I think Drew. Yeah. So with Drew, he's basically had to be a point guard uh, for a long time and, and be the, basically the lead ball hander, handler or creator for a good period of the AD era. Um, you know, obviously Tyreek played a significant role, but after Tyreek was shipped off, there was a couple of years where it was Drew and, you know, you're starting, Solomon Hill and each one more next to him. Yeah. And and he's or, the guy. And like even like this year, if it's like, you know, I'm I'm just looking at the roster, you guys can tell me if I'm crazy. If it's like Drew and like JJ or Drew and like Josh Hart, right? Like, you know, Drew's gonna be handling the ball in those situations. And so um I I do think you'll see that continue unless, you know, something changes with the roster. You guys sign a point guard um to for Drew to play alongside. Like that that's a that that's what I see. Um, I'd be interested to see what kind of use he makes of Nicolo Melli. He always, uh, he had like really, uh, he had cute sets to get like Ersan Ilyasova and Tobias Harris, like open looks from like that stretch forward position. I think um, if you're trying to surround Zion with shooting, I think he'll, he'll find fun ways to do that with Melli and, and, and JJ Redick. Um, I, I wonder well, you you guys can answer this for me. Like, what is what is Jackson Hayes like supposed to do on this team? 
yeah, uh, so it, it is interesting because, uh, and so I think Jax had a, a for uh, for like a guy as young as he is, he had a very uh, he had a solid rookie year. He definitely had rookie rookie woes. Um, the, the the team he couldn't he's not that strong on the glass at this point. It doesn't really help the team from rebounding perspective. But uh, I think we saw a lot of good things from him. But I, again, I, I think the the issue you run into now with Stan is, is his affinity for uh, and you know, like Schmidt said, he's that he's innovative. He's he's not going to stick to to one type of set that that he likes. Like I, I mean, but we have seen Stan kind of go towards that four shooters in a big type strategy and so if that's the case you know how much does that is is there a place for jacks to get regular rotation minutes and have his development continue so um i i think i think there is i think that still has to be a priority for this team specifically next season to see what they've got in, in jacks and the type of strides he can make um but um but yeah i mean figuring out the pairings beyond jacks plus zion um I, I think you're very, it was a very prudent point to bring up Melly. I think he, I think Stan's going to love using him. And I think his, his value to the Pelicans just, just went up with, uh, with Van Gundy in, in charge. Yeah. And the other thing is, I think, you know, um, I didn't, I'm not going to lie. I mean, like Zion's fun to watch, but I can't pretend like I watched like 20 games of Zion Williamson uh, last year. So um, he barely played 20. <laughs> That's so, fair hey, point. There you go. Yeah. But so I, what other people have told me is that he was a disappointment defensively. Uh, I don't, I expect that that'll, that'll change understand Van Gundy. But again, I don't know the best way in which he'll be deployed. It seems kind of like he was, uh, it seems kind of like his best role will actually end up being like terrifying weak side guy where he can just use his like insane uh, athleticism to kind of protect the rim despite being six, six and uh, you know, the, and, and to be able to like close out on shooters from the weak side. I mean, I remember the, everybody remembers the infamous block on Deandre Hunter uh, when he was at Duke. Um, But I like, I don't know if Zion like holds up as like a point of attack guy. Right. Like, I don't know, again, like, I don't know if you're going to be playing Zion and drop coverage. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's the way that Stan Van is going to play it. Um, and so, yeah, like that, that makes me very curious about what you're going to do with the, the center who it does seem like you could play traditional drop coverage with, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think step number one with Zion is getting him to fucking move at all on defense. <laughs> and so is that, is that a physical thing? Is that a mental thing? I think it's just, I don't know. I think there's a lot of theories behind it. I think it's a combination of all the above of him not being in the greatest shape, him coming off a, an injury not wanting to really exert or test himself on that end, uh, conserve a little bit more on offense, um, him jumping into the middle of a season without any five on five or anything like that. Uh, and really just not understanding NBA basketball. So just not really knowing what to do out there um and and him being a rookie so I think it's a combination of all those things and a lot of those inexperienced things should improve but there is a physical component that I think people are worried about which we are optimizing is going to improve as well but uh the learning aspect is where Stan comes in and I'm interested like you said is to see where Stan is going to use him how he's going to deploy him because the Zion in Duke was an absolute terror. Um, he would, har- he could harass people on the ball. He could 
murder people from the weak side with his blocks. You know, he he would you could just have him roaming as a free safety, and he was very very good. He knew what to do. It's a different story in the NBA where the offensive talent is just a lot better. Um, but I'm I'm very very interested to see if Zion is going to have a major defensive role, or is he going to be someone that's quote unquote hidden? Um, yeah for his early part of his career yeah i mean like you guys know this and it sounds like dumb to say but like stan van gundy has never coached anyone quite like zion before Mm -hmm. and so it's difficult for me to tell you exactly like using the lessons of like i had of stan van gundy is difficult for me to tell you like what he's gonna do with zion it's like i don't know we didn't have a zion on our pistons team like that would have that would have been nice (laughs) but it didn't happen so I am curious about, given what you do know about Stan and the types of players and skill sets that he maybe either A, values, or B, can can get more out of than other coaches maybe, uh, the Pelicans have a couple decisions to make on free agents. So I think this year is particularly interesting because you've got no t- teams, you've got very few teams with cap space, Pistons notwithstanding, and you've got a lot of players who maybe you're going to be more interested in taking, especially where players that have bird rights, uh, teams have bird rights on them, taking one-year deals, getting getting a nice payout when they wouldn't be getting one otherwise, and then figuring it out again next year. And so the two guys the Pelicans have, have um, you know, or two vets the Pelicans have to think about are Derek Favors and each one more. And I'm curious, a conventional wisdom would say that of those two, maybe Favors is the more likely because the Pelicans have fewer bigs uh, than they do guards right now on the roster. But the counterpoint to that is, hey, if if Stan really thinks that we can go and play fewer big men on the floor at the same time and non-shooters, then maybe Derek Favors isn't as much of a priority. And so, um, you know, I, I'm curious if you have a, th- a thought around that as far as the, the, those two guys specifically, if you have a if, if there's one that sticks out to you as more likely to mesh with a Stan Van Gundy team than the other. Hmm. I think uh like I could definitely see Etwan Moore like finding a role on a Sam Van Gundy team, uh, you know, very similar to the role that Langston Galloway played on uh, on the Pistons for the, his time here. If we could get uh, if we get Etwan Moore to have a green light the way we, that Galloway had it, man. If we could get just, I think it's a mental thing for Etwan almost. But if we could get that to happen, that that'd be great. I think it's a physical <laughs> thing rather than a mental thing. I think he just can't get his shot up quick enough. Uh, you know, Langston has a very quick release. He's more athletic. He's quicker. I think yep. if you close out hard on each one, that's it. <laughs> yeah, hometown hero, Langston Galloway. I've actually maybe maybe that's a Pistons connection that ends up getting made for Stan Van Gundy uh, and Langston. I know Langston has a lot of love for uh for the New Orleans area for mm-hmm. his uh for the things from Baton Rouge actually. Yeah, he had a he had a ton of fans here when he spent that half season. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, and there's a Stan Van Gundy connection there as well. Like, yeah, that that probably be a good move. Um, Derek Favors is more interesting, more traditional center, uh, more traditional drop guy. Again, we've been talking about like defensive coverages, more defense, uh, more uh, traditional like rim runner type. Um, I don't see you could really make like you could go either way on on Derek Favors. Um, I don't think. If if he's gonna make what he made last season or uh, close close to it, I don't think you can make a case to to keep him. But um, if he's willing to sign for less, like sure, 
while, while that would help you kind of establish a baseline of competence defensively that you can, that Stan would enjoy that Stan would, you know, try and build um, and, and kind of go from there. Um, so between the two, I probably, I'd probably say favors, but that's just because like, again, like I think you can find uh, other free agents who offer you what each one more does um, easier on the open market. I agree with that, but since we're we're discussing kind of transactions now, I'm going to go ahead and ask you if you feel like there are any non-Zion and Ingram players on the Pelicans that the Pistons would be interested in trading for, and, and what kind of deal do you think would materialize? So I know the team liked Nikhil Alexander-Walker going into that draft. Um, he was He was on their board. He was, I think, he, he was definitely an option for them. But when Seku fell, they were like, oh, okay, no, like Seku, Seku's the guy. Like they didn't think they were going to get Seku at 15. And so Alexander Walker was like one of the guys they thought they would, they would get at 15. Um, I don't know how, how highly valued Alexander Walker is like for this Pelicans team when I'm like, I'm just looking at the roster, right? Like he's a, he's an off guard or he's a, is a wing. Like you've got, you've already got JJ, you got Lonzo, you got Josh Hart on the wing. You got like, you know, Brandon Ingram. They kind of played him at, at point guard. You know, they trying to figure out if he can be that guy. That's what they played him at summer league. And he had a lot of success. And then they tried it in the regular season and he refused to like make a two handed chess pass. He would try to, (laughs) I don't know, bring out, his bag and be like, okay, I'm Nikhil Alexander Walker. I made the NBA. Let's see what I can do. And it was not a lot. It's not, it's not happening. So, I mean, I, I, I would trade you like a, like a Nikhil Alexander Walker and some cap salary for like Tony Snell is like, Hey, this is a very capable wing player. Who's going to come in and shoot 40% from three and you know, not be terrible in a team defensive scheme, and not really offer much else, but will bring up your floor. Who who says no to a Nikhil Alexander Walker for Luke Kennard trade straight up? Probably Detroit, just because Luke's a more proven player. Okay. Um, if you turn that to what do you guys have? Do you guys have eleven or twelve? Thirteen. Thirteen. If you turn that to Luke for thirteen. Like now, now we're talking. Interesting. Luke they, for thirteen is interesting. I think yeah. the the cost the, control really worries me. It would have to be, yeah. you know, if I trade for Luke and I have an extension ready that he's ready to sign and it's under like sixty million dollars. You know, it's under fifteen million. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would do that. Yeah, and I don't think the the like the the trade with Phoenix that we alluded to earlier that you know was in place or not like was in place like was talked about right like we got a woge tweet about it which you know we don't get a lot of woge tweets about the pistons um and that that deal fell apart because of well we don't know exactly why that deal fell apart but it seemed like that deal fell apart because of pick protections right like phoenix wanted to protect uh the pick prior to the world ending um they thought they'd be worse um and so you know if you're so in my head of like already got a framework of like Luke Kennard for like a, a, uh, a low tier, like lottery pick, like that's a framework I can already like get behind. Mason, do you have any thoughts on a trade like that? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was actually 
before the Lonzo, we, we kind of came to terms on the Lonzo situation. I was wondering um, I, I, where I thought you might go, Schmidt, is... Yeah, uh, would you swap Lonzo for Kennard straight up? So, I, I, I think so. Yeah. What about you, Les? Uh, huh. Probably not. But, like, not in a... Not in like a like no Lonzo sucks kind of way. More like in a like I don't know what Lonzo. It's like I I know what I have in Lucanard. I don't really know what what I have in like a Lonzo ball. And you got a year to figure it out. Yeah, that's that's very true, right? And that year and that year is not nothing. But uh, Lonzo's Even money though, is Lonzo's like... money is also pretty. It's not insignificant. He right no. number two pick. Um, yeah, I think rookie. it's around eight or nine mil. Yeah, that's that's not Maybe nothing. 10. We, I mean, like we got the cap space to burn, right? But uh, but yeah, we but like on a bad contract, you have a bad contract besides Blake, Lonzo. You know, if you're talking about like Lonzo and thirteen for uh, Luke, who I think makes like in the neighborhood of like six or seven this year, um, for like Luke and um. Oh God, who's on our roster? Like, yeah, like Luke and Tony Snell, or and, and you throw in Josh Hart. So that something. was. Oh wow, that's wow. a no. That's a hard no. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think if the Pelicans are including thirteen Lonzo Wait, and Hart, does Josh Hart have value? Or is... oh yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think they're they're aiming for like big fish. If like I think they're aiming for quasi all-star slash all-star level player with that kind of package and you know obviously adding picks is necessary but that's kind of the baseline that they would go for that yeah i think they value like i i don't think they would trade Hart for Kennard straight up really i I wouldn't really yeah i i I also probably would not i gotta okay now i gotta look at josh hart's numbers to figure out like what what he's up to that makes him so Hart, i think one he came he came off the bench so it's like Raw numbers are depleted, but he, he's a phenomenal rebounder. He's a multi-position defender. Um, really good uh, in transition offensively, which is how like the Pelicans like to play. But more importantly, I think he was uh, just this do-it-all hustle guy that no one on like no one on the team could fill the role that he played. Mm-hmm. Uh, just he could guard. He they defended one through four with him, and on any given night, and he would always be putting his body on the floor diving for loose balls, you know, drawing charges, uh, crashing the glass. I think, and I think his rebounding is probably his best skill overall outside of like finishing in transition, which is he's sneaking good at. He's like mini LeBron in transition. It's so weird. Um, okay. And, okay. That, that's, a, that's a mistake on my part then. That's a misevaluation of Josh Hart on my part. No, I mean, I think it's, you know, like the Pelicans weren't very good. And so like why spend, you know, that much time evaluating bench players in the Pelicans? I, it's not really – uh, I wouldn't say it's your fault, but I think it Hart has a lot more value to the Pelicans than perhaps um, people are aware of. Okay, no, I, 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 I wanted to, I wanted to apologize because only because like it annoys me when other people do that about my team on podcasts, and so I don't want to be the the guy who's like, oh man, like I. Like what did you guys do? But like I, sometimes you just legitimately don't know. But that is useful contextual information. I don't want to, like, if we're trying to make, if we're trying to like work out some like equitable fake trades, 
it like helps to know that like like no this team like actually like legitimately values josh hart yeah i mean i i think i think he's you know it's it's not a zero it's, it's a non-zero chance they, they get a deal done with him this offseason on on a, a, a new like on an extension um i i was I was going to say we were touching uh, around the edges of what I thought we we're going to end up talking about with a trade option, which is, which was Lonzo and 13 for set Snell and, and, uh, and Pistons got seven, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I thought we were going to get there at some point. Um, I was just, I, and, but it sounds like you, you're, you're saying no to that one for the Pistons, right? Yeah. I'd want to, if, if the Pistons trade down, I would probably do the, like the the rumored Boston trade, right? Like 14, 26, and 30. Um, maybe you spin off 30 into more some, some more second rounders. They don't have a lot of second rounders in uh in the future. So you could kind of fix that. Um but yeah, I'm I'm trying to get well again, we're in a restoration. We're we're trying to rebuild this <laughs> team. I'm trying to get first, not give them away. Makes sense. That makes total sense. Well I, I think that was a productive and educational uh discussion from both sides on kind of where they where both teams stand in terms of where they value the players um but to approach the conclusion of our podcast we're going to ask you a couple questions about your your pistons um fandom and hopefully you're ready for it so this one this is an easy one we we ask people all the time uh all-time favorite pistons player i guess Let's, let's change it up a little bit. Top three all-time favorite Pistons players. Hmm. Okay. So I guess the, the top three favorite. Favorite's so tough, man. Uh, top three, like... Uh, so it's, it's on... Like, Andre Drummond's on that list. As polarizing as he was as uh frustrating as he as he was to watch uh quite often he was like undoubtedly one of the most fun pistons i've i've had the pleasure of watching um she she was hilarious she was great she was clutch she locked in the 2004 championship she's on that list and look you don't have to say it darko <laughs> so, no, i was i was debating so uh i've got two point guards in mind right like chauncey is the easy one because chauncey was like the steady hand that stirred the drink that made everything possible but uh on the other hand there was like a solid like two years where like brandon jennings was really fun to watch <laughs> and that's oh, more, wow and that's wow. obviously like more recent in my memory than the uh the did you guys give up chris part? middleton for jennings yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> damn coming no, in hot then it was, was that, okay was that no Sam Gundy? uh or no was that was dumars do, okay do mars do you know do you want to know why i know that was dumars why because so first things first immediately like i i wasn't like really paying attention to the pistons at this point um but like even I knew immediately that like putting Chris Middleton in that deal was a mistake. Middleton like barely played that year, but like when he did, he was really, you could tell he was going to be good and they just like threw him in there for no reason. Um, and the other reason I knew, I remembered it was Dumars was because um, like there were rumors like swirling that the team would like swap Brandon's cause it was Brandon Knight for Brandon Jennings. 
and uh uh brandon this is milwaukee so who was the gm in milwaukee at the time uh i think it was i think it was Worst? a guy in orlando no there's a guy in orlando right hannigan hammond. hammond oh hammond. hammond and uh joe said like yeah me and john hammond like we're just like you know on the phone talking about our dogs and it's like such a blatant and obvious lie is just like like how stupid do you think a fan base like is that you would say that like on the record and so and then and then like two days later like the trade was was done and so it's like joe like why do you got the i was like how dare you have the all damn audacity to lie to my face like that come on joe um but yeah that wasn't stan that was joe dumars and putting chris Middleton in that deal was a mistake but brandon jennings was super fun to watch uh as a piston there was there's a couple games in boston uh where he like he didn't like isaiah thomas and so he would he would torch isaiah thomas that was fun there was a 2020 game against uh orlando that i will remember for the rest of my life honestly because it was just like the it was like the apex version of like like you saw why like brandon jennings had drafted like seventh he was just like he was everywhere in transition. He was taking guys off the dribble. He was making, he was making these like hard nests, like off the dribble, like lefty step back threes before it was cool. Right. This is like 2014 or 15. Right. And he's just like killing guys like that. Um, he's throwing uh, transition lobs off the backboard to Andre Drummond. And just like, my mind's like exploding. I'm like, Oh my God, this guy's going to be amazing. Um, and then I think he, I, and the sad tragic thing is I think he, tore his Achilles and like functionally ended his NBA career the game after that 2020 game. And so I always kind of think of it as like, he like he flew too close to the sun of like what his talent was supposed to be. He was struck down for it. So yeah, long, long story short, uh, Andre Drummond, Rashid Wallace, and like the fun two years of Brandon Jennings. <laughs> well, let's let's flip it around um least favorite and and like let's say josh like smith a, josh, oh, smith, I josh knew, smith i knew josh that's smith. where you were gonna go <laughs> josh, smith. josh smith <laughs> oh man that was just so obvious um, you know you you guys Mars. you guys don't understand how like how soul-sucking that was to watch like not only did he not only did he play poorly he seemed like mentally incapable of uh envisioning that like him playing poorly was like the result of like doing things wrong and so he just like he like literally just kept going out there and doing the same things over and over again and it didn't work and he would be mad that they weren't working it's like do you want to try something different do you want to do you want to do anything besides like belch up 18 footers and like wind the refs and the answer was no he didn't (laughs) and it was just it was just it was it was it was insane and then the the infamous like Josh Smith, Greg Monroe, Andre Drummond front court, which was like, why? Yeah, it just drove me insane. Like, <laughs> Did you have a celebration when the when his stretched contract finally came off the books this past season? So, oh, <laughs> yes, uh, we we raised the uh, the photoshopped banner uh, definitely. No, actually, funnier story is I know exactly what I was doing when. Uh, Josh Smith was waved and stretched because uh, we were in Michigan. So I know it was so, and we lived in North Carolina at the time. And so I know like we, it was like December ish. 
um it was around so it was around christmas we were in michigan we were meeting the lady who was going to officiate our wedding and my friend who never calls me for anything ever calls me during this meeting and i'm like and my wife is like don't take that call like what are you doing and i'm like like no like baby like this guy never calls me like i i need to know like what's happening right he's like okay they're like sure like go and the lady was like and the, the fishing lady was super nice about it she was like yeah sure take the call so i'm like in a panera off the side of the freeway um talking to my friend he's like yo josh smith got cut uh. <laughs> and, I'm, <laughs> and i'm like what <laughs> And he's like, Josh Smith got cut. And he hangs up. <laughs> Did you tell oh, your wife? What, what, yes. what was the interaction after that? I, t- I came in, like, I came in, I, like, did some, like, jumping jacks in the parking lot and, like, came back in, like, with this stupid, like, grin on my face. And, my, and everybody's like, clearly, like, 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 why did you have to leave? Like, what was so important? Is, is everyone okay? Is, like, is your mom fine? I was like, uh, yeah, it's a basketball thing. Don't worry about it. Let's uh, let's finish up this meeting. <laughs> wow, that's a great story. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, so I I remember exactly where I was when when I learned that Josh Smith got cut. Josh Smith is one, two, three, four, and five on that list. It's like great. there was no there's no other piston who came even close to the frustration of watching Josh Smith and. I had to watch like Austin Day for three years. Amazing, I, I think we oh, got to yeah. wrap on that. We're right? not going to be, we're not going to be <laughs> topping this. So now everyone knows where Laz was uh, when Josh Smith was. Oh, uh, uh, Laz, uh, let everyone know where they can find find your stuff before we. No, absolutely. Thanks again here. for having me on, guys. It's a good conversation. Really appreciate it. I'm going to have to Google some like down to buck Josh Hart highlights now. <laughs> um, a Pelicans fans, you can find me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, you can listen to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast and Pistons versus everybody on wherever platform you're listening to this podcast on. And you can read my work at DetroitBadBoys.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for uh, for joining. Uh, this was this was great. Uh, glad we could get this uh, done fairly fairly quickly after this game. And then, uh, we What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.